Welcome to Main Street Banking, a podcast for community bankers brought to you by the Barrett School of Banking, located in the heart of banking, blues, and barbecue, Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Byron Earnhardt. I am the program director here at Barrett, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our corner of the banking world and hope that we can make your bank, your staff, and maybe even your day a better one. Okay, today's episode, we're doing a little bit different dive on social media. Uh, for the community bank, we've got uh, two two experts in social media, and but, but from different angles. We've got today. We've got from Red Bay, Alabama, the vice president of senior and vice president senior marketing director for Community Spirit Bank, Emily Mays. Emily, how are you doing today? Doing good, Byron. Okay, and then we've got Eric Cook with WSI, who's the digital strategist and longtime uh, uh, faculty member, digital marketing expert. Uh, teacher of all things digital and marketing to community banks. Eric, how you doing today? Re- don't forget recovering banker. I, I, was, right. uh, I, I was on the other side of the desk for a number of years, but I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be on the show today. Thanks for Good having deal. me. Good deal. Well, Emily, um, going to you, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Community Spirit Bank. Absolutely. Um, I've been a community banker for the last six years. Um, Most definitely the best career move I've ever made. Uh, Community Spirit is about a $148 million asset size bank, a small rural bank in the northwest corner of Alabama. Um, Came back home after 10 years and got into the banking business, I guess you could say. Uh, Primarily, I manage all of the bank's uh, social media and marketing programs, oversee our website, uh, design and maintenance. Um, you know, assist with implementation of our new technologies and services as they come about. I'm also the bank's uh, financial literacy adventurer, so you can actually follow my hashtag on Instagram. Um, I coordinate the financial literacy programs for us in 10 schools, and we have implemented two in-school bank branches along with that program recently. Yeah, I'll I'll figure we're going to get into that um, and some of the questions that we've got, Emily. And Emily, I have to say, is being a little bit uh, humble about herself. She just recently got voted uh, one of the top 40 under 40 by the ICBA, uh, one of the top bankers uh, under the age of 40 in the country. Um, and that's Ooh. an extremely cool honor. So we're glad to have such a celebrity here with us on the uh, on the podcast. Extremely cool. I'm still absorbing. <laughs> <laughs> will, will you email me an autograph? I don't have an autograph. I'd like an autograph. Absolutely. I'd like, I'd like a signed picture, please. That, that's right. Get, get, get all the cool hashtags going on that one. Well, Eric, tell, totally. us, tell us a little bit about yourself and about WSI. Absolutely. So as I said, uh, as I interrupted you in your intro, I'm a recovering banker, 15 years, uh, did it, uh, did pretty much everything. Like Emily came from a small community bank. And in 2007, I made the, the personal decision that I didn't want to be the CEO of a publicly traded bank and I enjoyed the technology and I saw where the digital space was headed. So I came on board with uh, an organization called WSI, which is the world's largest digital agency network. Um, Been around for almost 25 years, if you can believe that. We predate Google by a year. Uh, So sometimes I'll say one year BG and I'll have to explain (laughs) what BG stands for, but that's before Google. so we've got offices in 80 countries around the world, and there's roughly a thousand consultants like myself, and I have chosen to really niche myself in the community banking and financial services space. And so I'm, I'm fortunate to be faculty member 
with uh, you folks, as well as a number of other schools, just kind of spreading the gospel and working with bankers on helping them figure out how they can create a voice for themselves. My father was a community banker for 33 years, and uh, I didn't realize it when I was growing up, but I know it after the fact. Um, He did a great job of building his brand and being the banker that people want to to trust and like and and be there. And I think that there's a real opportunity for community bankers to do that electronically in the digital age. And a lot of industries have done that. Um, And we have some challenges in the banking world as it relates to compliance and technology and security and privacy that all are very important elements. But there's this thing called a risk analysis that we have to get comfortable with those things and figure out a way that we can be relevant and help um, be out there and all the great stuff that Emily's doing with her banking program. I've, I've used screenshots from your Instagram uh, account, inspiring other bankers to tell their story and to to kind of be out there, not talking about products and services, but all the cool stuff that we do as community bankers. And I, I think that's gets gets me out of bed and uh, makes me excited. So I'm I'm happy to be on the show today to kind of further spread the gospel and try to get bankers thinking about this. Now that's the honor, making Eric Kirk's presentation. Yeah, I got to tell a little bit of, uh, I guess, behind the scenes. When Eric was here at grad school, um, I I was sitting in on his class because, you know, we got to sit in on these professors, these faculty members that we're a little unsure of. (laughs) I'm kidding. but uh, Got to audit, man. That's got to audit. That's right. Um, But I uh, I sent a picture of it to to Emily over Facebook. I was like, look, you're on. You're, you're 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 being discussed in year three at grad school. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily, it, it, it is really apparently obvious to to anybody that follows uh, banking social media that community spirit is extremely active on social media. And Eric made mention of it uh, before uh, in in his in his talk. Uh, why did y'all decide to move that direction? And how do you go about approaching your content there? Uh, I'll first off just give credit where the credit is due. Um, as you know, our president and CEO, Brad Bolton, is the main driver behind uh, our initial steps in the social media. Um, he's a very social type of person, and so that's the type of bank we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a little uncommon. I know, you know, in peer groups and things like that for the senior management, executive management level to be so actively a part of the social media process. But I'm very blessed to be in a situation that that's exactly what I work in every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just sort of feel as an entire management, you know, team, that's where the customers are. Everybody is on, you know, some platform or the other. Why not just meet them there? They're already looking there. So, you know, you can push a ton of money into television, radio, the local cable channel, the newspapers that (laughs) nobody picks up, you know, half the time trying to chase the customer down and, most everybody is on at least one platform. And if we can sort of meet them halfway and at least be in their view consistently, um, we just feel that has a much better impact on our marketing and just our brand, you know, as a whole. You know, kind of as far as content, we have a lot of things that drive that. Um, Usually I just sort of monitor what gets the most engagement. And we just... (laughs) So that's obviously what they want to see. We'll follow that. Um, (laughs) You know, they like to learn who we are behind the scenes. They like to know who the banker is. They much rather know they love Dr. Pepper and George Strait than they've been at this branch for three years. They find the other much more interesting. 
So, or, you know, the unexpected, you know, the, the drive through fell the year before last and I'm sort of out there casually t- taking a photo and it was one of our biggest posts of the year. Like people were, the paper came and wanted to interview about it. Like it was anyway, the unexpected, you know, uh, but as we sort of, got to pushing out more and more content you know we went from trying to get our three posts a week to you know daily or a few times a day on certain items you know and you're just creating more content your tone becomes established and you know this is who we are this is how we're going to say it and we're very consistent um in that and i i love it when people recognize that we are that consistent some of the local civic groups i assist with are like are you the only one that posts? Because that didn't sound like you. And I'm like, no, there, there are other admins, and but they recognize the bank's tone so well, mm-hmm. and they know I assist that group that they're like, you didn't post that, so they take it personal. Then, <laughs> but it shows that that recognizable tone and consistency, you know, it really pays off. Mm. Eric, what a you mentioned something about spreading the gospel to the community banking industry about, about social media and digital marketing. What can banks, what can community banks do with social media? And why is it so important? Uh, well, the short answer is just do what Emily does. Yeah. <laughs> I almost <laughs> cut the episode right there. I was like, Oh, that's it. I was going to say, let's and <laughs> cut. All right. Uh, we're done. So, um, you know, when I joined the bank, my father told me, you know, you really need to, appreciate and understand the fact that people are going to choose to bank with you because they see you as their banker, not as their bank. And the fact that people have gotten to know Emily as their banker, even when it's typed out and they understand, you know, they can recognize from type or just the type of photo that's being posted that Emily has created that banker brand. And, you know, that to me is the biggest reason why you want to be involved. And, and oftentimes, you know, when I teach, I try to give the analogy because I was in the bank when we introduced email and email, when it was originally introduced at the bank was a very scary thing and you restricted access to it and you didn't give everybody the ability to send an email because you know what, somebody could, you know, they could download a virus or they could email something private or they could, you know, tell a joke and cause damage to the bank's reputation because the joke's inappropriate. Um, And those are all legitimate concerns. And over time, we got to realize that despite those concerns and potential risks, email is really a legitimate, although sometimes people would say, as I look at an inbox with 26,000 emails in it, um, email is somewhat of a of a blessing and a curse, but at the end of the day, email is a legitimate business communication tool that we all have to have access to, mm-hmm. to run and operate, even to the extent, I know a lot of banks, their custodians and, you know, support staff have got emails because that's how they communicate things that need to be done within the office. And we've, we've, we have, we as bankers went through that cost benefit risk analysis approach and said, you know what? If we're going to release this as a valid communication tool to allow our team to talk to our customers and to be accessible and provide information, we need to have some things in place. And we've got filters and anti-spam and detection services that look for confidential information that zip things up and, you know, make it secure. And we've gotten comfortable with making email a part of our daily lives. And I think the social media part of this is now very kind of, you know, it's kind of like I've I've been here before. I've seen all the concerns and I would suspect the same thing 
was going on back when the telephone was introduced. You know, we can't put a phone in Byron's office because he's just going to be talking on the phone all day long. He's not going to be doing any work and he's going to say stuff about our customers. And, you know, that's, that's not what we want, but now, you know, the phone, if you would think that we restricted access to the telephone or email, you kind of look cross-eyed and go, really? You know, that, that's just kind of the way that people do business these days. And like Emily said, that's, that's where the customers are. They're in social media, they're having conversations and there's risks out there that we need to mitigate. But the biggest risk that oftentimes banks that haven't embraced this, like Emily and her culture, is the risk of relevancy. And, you know, what is the risk of being invisible in the next two years or three years? Because we're not part of those conversations. And you, we have to get over that hump in the fear and educate ourselves and to be able to say, you know what, we need to be there. So sorry about that. Um, so the, the the non-product related stuff is what we really need to be talking about. It's the good things that we're doing in our communities that'll make compliance a lot happier because we don't have to worry about trigger terms and disclosures and all this other stuff. It's the things that people really want to know, the behind the scenes. And by the way, I'm Red Bull and Bull Beat, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Maybe Metallica. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's those things that humanize the organization that, you know, people want to discover oftentimes before they even take the initiative to meet you in person. They want to know who you are, get to know you and like you and trust you. Um, and that is happening without us even really knowing it's going on. And there's people that I'm sure reside in Emily's community that follow her, that know and like and trust her, that she may have never even met before. But that bond has existed and been created because of the stories she's telling and the message that she's delivering. And I think that's the big lesson that anybody listening to this really needs to take home is how are you getting people to know and like and trust you and using social technologies to be able to do that? And it's not talking about products and services and rates. Yeah. It's just not. Emily, what you, you had mentioned the, uh, that you're posting in regards to content, whatever gets the most uh, engagement. Are you finding that uh, those humanizing, to use uh, Eric's phrase there, humanizing posts are getting the most, I mean, from a metric standpoint, is that getting the most clicks? Oh, likes? Most, yes, most definitely. Um, you know, people do like to know about, okay, well, now they have a person-to-person -person payment system because that makes their life better. So they right. do appreciate that, yeah. Mm -hmm. But put an employee, you know, even if it's a headshot or something behind the scenes, and it's going to turn, you know, the engagement so much faster because people find it so exciting to see them out there and it's on their employer's Facebook page. And, you know, it's very exciting for them, their family um, and the community. Like Eric said, they feel like they already know you before they ever come in the bank and they feel like they can trust you. You've built that bond without ever even interacting with one another. Um, and uh, amen to the uh, comparison of email for once upon a time to, um, you know, what social media is for us today. It very much is the same sort of situation. You know, it, it is part of our business structure presently. So yeah. you mentioned something about the, uh, you know, that they're happy that they're, it's on the employer's um, uh, social media presence. What's the feedback that you've had about going a little deeper there? What, what do you, the employees, the, the staff, what do they think about being the, uh, 
so the social media presence of community spirit? Most of them love it. They're a little bit hesitant if it is a specific uh, spotlight or something like that, you know, but they feel so excited once they see it out and the engagement. And I call them up and be like, you've reached like 2000 people in two hours. Like this is, this is, you can't pay for this, this kind of reach. Um, And they're thrilled because they did something good. And it's just exciting to sort of like an honor, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, to be featured. And everybody's telling them congratulations. And, you know, it's really just an employee spotlight. But it's so exciting to see them there. Um, And as far as community, it's just such a community builder. And if I say, okay, photo time, you know, our team knows jump into place. Like this is going to happen. So whether you like it or not, Emily's going to get her picture. You're going to get it. Yeah. That's if you don't want in the picture, you don't need to come. That's right. That's right. Um, well, Eric, you know, I know for me here, I mean, it just, the amount of options that are out there for social media, is just, it gets to be almost overwhelming. What, what, what are the, Type what seems to work the best for uh, community banks and why? And Emily, jump in too. What what are some of the, uh, the the avenues, social media avenues work best? And what how do you approach all the all the uh, channels? Well, I, I'm uh, I'm tempted to say ladies first because that's the polite thing for a gentleman to do. So Emily, I mean, you're obviously in a number of different social channels. Um, you know, how did those get selected and have you ever tried a channel and it's not worked or decided not to go into a channel for a particular reason? I'm curious. We, um, of course, Facebook, the behemoth, you know, everybody's there. Uh, so it yep. naturally came first until about back in 2011. Um, quickly added Twitter and Instagram once I came to the bank because they, we just felt they were necessary and fast growing as far as Instagram, especially. Um, we haven't jumped onto Snapchat yet, but we have analyzed it. We do some paid filters and things like that for events. Um, we'd stay with the big three for now. Um, we haven't even added a LinkedIn yet, mostly because I think HR would prefer to not have <laughs> that side, but we kind of just keep continually analyzing all of the options and just sort of doing a little due diligence, you know, annually to see what else we might want to venture into. Sure. Well, when I get asked that question, because oftentimes people say, well, what's the best platform to be on? There's really not a right or wrong answer until you explore a little bit more about the financial institution and what their goals are. And I think that's one of the 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 lures or the shiny distractions of social media because there's so much cool stuff that you can do and it's free for the most part you can open up an account and get started that there's that oh we need to be everywhere or i'm going to get on instagram because that's where i want to go uh because everybody's talking about instagram and what we really try to encourage the banks that we work with is to sit back and say okay where are your most desirable customers you know who do you want to influence and you know while emily's indicated they're not really pursuing linkedin we work with banks that they're primarily on the commercial side and you know that's where they go they put a little bit in facebook because i think you kind of have to be in facebook because that's where everything is um but they're primarily spending their time in linkedin not just from a bank perspective but trying to figure out how they can help their commercial lending team build their profiles and look good. So when people go onto LinkedIn and they're searching for an alternative or just investigating the credibility of a potential business partner, that LinkedIn is where they go because that's where the business bank really finds its business customers. 
Um, if you're doing a lot of stuff in the schools and you're in a college town and you've got, you know, youth, you may have to be in and have a really creative bent on Instagram and start embracing things like stories, because not only do you have to think of the platform, but you have to think of the tools in the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of Instagram, you've got just Instagram, you've got Instagram stories, you've got IGTV, which is a long form video, you've got live streaming video in Instagram. So not only are you selecting a platform where your audience is, but now you have to think of all the engagement opportunities within each of the individual platforms. Um, you know, is it time and has anybody listening to this podcast even heard of the platform TikTok? And if you haven't, ask somebody that's under the age of 13 what TikTok is, and you'll probably hear about it. And is that a platform that you need to explore? And while you may not necessarily have an account, one of the things that we encourage is just go out and register and get your own handle so that if you have the opportunity to essentially, you know, they call it domain squatting with the URLs, but you can make sure that you get the same handle across all of the platforms. You may never use it, but at least you're claiming your stake. And if you decide to move down that road and that becomes the next best thing that Facebook wants to acquire, you've actually got your flag planted in the mountain and, uh, and you've claimed your little piece of the pie there. So I don't know as if there's really a best one. It really is going to depend on your strategic goal, where your customers are and, and who you want to influence. And that really should be what drives what social platform you choose, not the other way around. Do you, can, should you approach that uh, across, like with Emily, across the big three, um, you know, if another bank maybe has the big three and then a LinkedIn. Does that approach through those channels then govern content? The, like the community stuff, go to Instagram and Facebook and then commercial lending promotion of the yep. lenders go through LinkedIn. Does that kind of stand to govern or do you want one message going out across the whole the whole world there. Well, I, I think yes, each message needs to depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the message needs to support the brand at the end of the day. So the underlying theme or whether you call it the culture or the vision, whatever the case is, that ultimately needs to remain consistent because if you mess that up, I think you're going to cause confusion in the marketplace and they're going to be like, okay, you know, what kind of personality does this bank really have? Um, but when you start posting things, now granted, there are cross-posting platforms that you can use to send the same information across multiple platforms at the same time, which will build efficiency. And, you know, I get that. But the same thing that you're going to post on Twitter may have to be different than what you're posting on LinkedIn because you may need to word it differently. You know, you may not... Um, you know, be as brief, you might be able to add some more photos, you might, you know, if you want to tag somebody else or mention them, that may not carry over because the handles that are for the various social accounts may not work across multiple platforms. Um, So your audience, I mean, it's just like if you showed up to the high school and you did a presentation to a bunch of high schoolers versus uh, a downtown development authority business lunch and learn, you're going to talk to those audiences much differently, but the underlying theme of what the bank stands for is still going to be at the heart of what you're talking about. Mm. And it's the same thing when you go on social media. Emily, how do you govern what gets posted where? 
it's basically just like Eric said, it's the audience. Um, you know, there are things that we, you, you know, you do just sort of schedule for the ease of having them push out and, you know, you can sort of have a similar speak with each item. But then there's times where I know specifically I am speaking to our students, for example. So I'm going to have a lot of fun with stories and do the GIFs and all the different things that I wouldn't necessarily do if I was speaking to, you know, a different audience or trying to catch attention you know, from someone else. And I, I would say that's sort of the the balance part that you sort of have to acquire. And as you're finding your voice and your tone and what is drawing engagement on each platform and just the more consistent you are with your sharing, your posting, um, you sort of develop that knack for what goes where and what how you're going to say that message on the different platforms. Uh, more easily. You kind of know you're going to tweak it to sort of sound this way on Twitter and on Instagram, you're going to do it a little bit different, for example. So that just sort of comes, you know, with time and experience with your institution, I think. Hmm. <clears throat> well, Emily, how does, how does uh, community spirit turn that social media into dollars and cents? Uh, social media, and I, I'm putting my old curmudgeon hat on right now. Um, uh, you know, is there a tangible return to a social media presence or is it just kind of smoke and mirrors? What's what's the dollars and cents of it? For us, you know, and I'm sure each person's dollars and cents for their bank may be a little bit different. Um, for us, you know, as I said in the beginning, it's it's the engagement. You know, the expression you can't measure a handshake. We've heard that, you know, our whole adult careers. But you can measure a post. You can measure its reach, engagement, impression, click-through rate. Uh, did it take them to your website? Did it take them anywhere else you wanted them to go? It's absolutely measurable. Um, every single thing is measurable in the digital world, and that is the nice part for us. Um, you know, when every time an employee goes out and someone says, I saw one on Facebook, or I go into a school and a student says, I saw one on Instagram, you know, and that's our new normal at our bank. We do not go to a public event without someone saying, you know, tell me about that. I saw y'all were at such and such. That's our new normal. And we consider that a major uh, return. You know, we do some boosted and paid advertising when it calls for it. Um, you know, all the analytics, we know exactly where our dollars went. Because if we do advertise a product or, or ser service of some type, that's the only place we're putting it these days. We're not even putting it in the paper. We're not putting wow. it on TV. So we we see the measurement. We know exactly if new deposits came in, they saw it on social media. They saw it in a you know a social media ad. Um, so those placements worked. And you know another, I guess facet of of that same topic is you know when your local businesses around you are calling the local bank to come help them with their social media because <laughs> they see us so active and they're like, we just, we really need help. So civic groups and uh, small businesses, nonprofits, you know, when they want to call you in or can I just come to your office for 10 minutes and let's just talk. We consider that return as well, mm -hmm. because if they're calling us for that, they may call us for something else. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that's what, um, to, to be able to, you know, have that kind of engagement, with, with the community, I, I mean, they're just asking you to come visit with them and talk with them as opposed to, if you look at it from a sales standpoint, as opposed to you having to make an outbound, even a warm lead. Absolutely. Uh, make that kind of call. If, if they're walking in the door and asking you to talk to them about their marketing efforts, that's a sales. I mean, that's a really good marketing 
bit pitch. Yeah. Say nothing we'll, of we'll like take, about the community. Yeah, we'll take it any day. Yeah, absolutely. Shoot. Eric, what uh, what are you seeing across the industry in terms of tangible results? Is it in line with what Emily's saying or uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, I oftentimes will say bankers need to get familiar with the ROE of social media or social networking and it's not return on equity it's return on engagement Mm. and it's the it's the variables or the metrics that emily talks about it's the likes the comments the retweets the conversations you know the quote-unquote handshakes i just did virtual quotes with my fingers but you can't (laughs) see that yeah yeah, the podcast um although we're screen sharing so you could see that but nobody else nobody else could just a little secret out of the bag um but you know it's it's the engagement elements and and that's another thing i remember when we first started using an mcrf system at the bank and we were looking at the profitability of our customers and trying to determine which relationships were most valuable to us we had to get comfortable with the concept of relative profitability because the numbers that kicked out of our mcif system didn't give us absolute but we could tell based off of relative profitability that a particular customer was maybe 10 times more profitable than another customer and we didn't know if that was one versus 10 or 100 versus 10 or you know wherever that was but we knew by and large these were the types of customers that we wanted more business from because they tended to generate more revenue. And I think that concept of relative profitability was very foreign to the dollars and cents minds of most bankers. The same thing happens as it relates to social technology and the engagement variables. You know, what's the value of a phone call? What's the value of your mobile device? What's the value of an email or responding to a voicemail? You know, you can't put a hard number on that but everybody knows that those are very important components. Now I have heard some bankers that have been able to measure this and have reported, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in deposit and loan activity because they're actively involved. And people have said, you know, I've been following you. I've decided you're a bank that gets it. You support the community. I love the information that you share and I want you to be my banker. And, you know, you sometimes get the opportunity to hear those stories. And if you can, you know, record that information and, and make sure that you can bring it back, um, then you can start putting some tangible dollars with that. Or if you tie it in with digital marketing and landing pages and conversion and all the other gobbledygook that goes on in the world of digital, there are ways that you can be much more metric about it and, and put some tangible results to it. Um, we're starting to explore uh, a tool that will actually archive and monitor and measure the engagement rates of hashtags. And what they've gone and done is further extrapolated uh, an economic value as a proxy to those uh, engagement numbers. Because if you had to pay advertising dollars to get the same exposure, what would that have cost you to get that much exposure? And that's kind of an interesting uh, experiment that we're working on now that will kind of reveal maybe some actual dollar amounts that, you know, somebody does a post that gets 1200 likes or retweets and gets you, you know, a couple thousand impressions, you know, that might be worth 10 or $15 because you would have had to have paid for a boost on Facebook or a sponsored ad on Twitter to get that. If you can start adding those up at the end of the year, you might be able to calculate some sort of a, if we had to have spent money for this, what we would have had to have spent otherwise. Mm. But I think engagement in the ROE 
uh, not equity, uh, engagement number is probably the biggest thing to get comfortable with. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about, you know, a banker and, you know, we're always looking at, you know, return and things like that, but we're also looking at, look at benchmarks and, you know, we're competitive by nature as well. Um, Eric, what are some ways that we can, banks can benchmark their social media, their social media presence? And Emily, I'm going to ask you without having to share your, your competitive strategy, you're getting the same question. I'm just going to give you a little more time to think about it. Um, but how, how do banks need to benchmark and um, I guess make make the, make their numbers relative and, and relevant to, to that ROE, to that yeah. return on engagement? So, I mean, let, let, let's just talk about Facebook. And I know that, you know, I've mentioned this in your class before, but I'll say it here. I think this, because everybody's on Facebook practically, um, Facebook has come right out and they have said, based off of their statistics and what Mr. Zuckerberg chooses to do with his platform, that he knows people are going onto Facebook to share content and engage with each other, not necessarily to follow brands and businesses. So if you've got a page on Facebook and you're posting, you should know that statistically speaking, on average for all types of posts, that's video, images, long form, link posts, the average engagement or visibility for a post by a business or a brand on a page is hovering right around three or 4%. And that visibility of three or 4% is a really, really small number. And one that a lot of kind of business owners get very frustrated with because they spend all this time, hey, like us on Facebook and you got a hundred people, you got a thousand people, such a small percentage ever see that. And if you think about your own Facebook profile, the next time you go on, you've probably clicked the like button on a number of local area businesses. You probably even like your own bank's page. But when you go onto Facebook, what do you see? Do you see your bank's posts? Do you see your business's posts? Or do you see stuff from friends from high school and college and, you know, coworkers? That's what you see. So when you look at your numbers and you go into your insights and you take a look and you, you, you see visibility numbers, if you can get north of that four or 5%, then you know you're doing at least better than what the average is on Facebook. Doesn't mean it's acceptable. What I would be willing to bet, and I'm almost guaranteeing the fact that Emily will back me up on this, if you do a post that an employee is maybe proactively told about or they know that they're in it because it's their profile, it's their you know, spotlight, or you do something that an individual finds and shares those numbers are going to go through the roof and you're going to get five or six times what you would get if it was just only showing up on the bank's feed. And that's because the human side, the employees are sharing it. And now instead of it being business to people, it's people to people. And that's one of the big reasons why I beat the drum hard on making sure other people are engaged and following and know that when you're posting, and have the opportunity. You can't mandate and say, hey, Emily, I just did a post. You have to go share this. But I can make sure Emily knows that I just made a post as the bank. And she then has the opportunity to go to it and share it and help me spread the word. And and when that happens, you're going to see your numbers. And, and that really is going to give you kind of validation that engaging your employees is big. With Without that, um, you know, there's a lot of industry statistics um, that you can Google and search, but you know, I think it's more important to look at your past behavior. And if your numbers are in the two or 3% range, that's the number that you need to benchmark and try to beat. 
regardless of what Facebook says or Twitter says, it's trying to improve upon what it is that, that you've been able to produce. So Emily, can you, uh, can you validate when an employee and it starts getting shared outside of the bank that those Absolutely. numbers. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen from the amen pew on that one. Um, and I love <laughs> when I see that my employees are my top fans, you know, the new top mm. fans feature like on Facebook. And I love that I see my top three are, you know, bankers. That means that they are liking and engaging and sharing. Um, and it means so much. And like you said, you can't mandate that they do that. But the ones who sort of get it and they like being a part of that are so faithful to do it without you even having to say, because once they do it consistently, Facebook's going to push that in their feed or Instagram's going to have that in their algorithm. So when they do log in, they see the bank stuff. The same token, like you said, we can have our CFO who obviously likes the bank's page, is an admin on the bank's page, but never sees our post because she's rarely on social media because she's mm. super busy and she's not there a lot. So she hasn't liked enough content consistently to even see that. Um, and as far as the benchmark, I think ours are constantly changing and we're really, like you said, just measuring against ourselves. Mm. Um, we're comparing that month to month, you know, year to year um, and showing that to our board. You know, we went up, we went down, but this is how we did over the whole quarter and just sort of seeing are we improving. I mean, we've measured it so long now we know when our lulls are throughout the year. We know when it's going to be a lower interactive time. Um, and we can expect that. We anticipate that. We know don't put something you really need people to see during that month. Like that's a very, you know, we've got it down that far on that benchmark to know everybody else is doing something else during the month of August. School's going back. They're more worried about that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so just consistently pushing past, you know, your previous benchmarks uh, is basically our goal just constantly improving. Yeah, that's why I, I like, I like what you said there, Emily. It's, um, you know, it's so hard and being a, you know, a, a small bank or you know, a small community bank in, uh, in a small town, Alabama. And I'm saying that having been a banker in small town, Mississippi. So <laughs> I, I, I are one too. Um, yeah, you, you kind of have to, when you start reading the statistics, you do have to start benchmarking against yourself. And then some of the things that we even do here at Barrett, um, you know, it's like this podcast. I mean, there's the, the data, really, we have to benchmark against ourselves on so much. And then I can say, yeah, we showed improvement. We showed X number of improvement versus what, Eric, to your point, uh, you know, what would that normally cost us in, you know, direct marketing, email marketing, you know, straight up cold call, all that sort of thing. We engage with this over this, you know, as opposed to this other Um I, I, I like that. I like that idea. I like that concept. All right. Well, the last question, I always try to end with something, you know, applicable to somebody that hears, that hears the topic and wants to get started. Let's say you two have been uh, tasked by management to start social media. The, the, the president, the chairman, they, they hear about all this Facebook stat face thing and they want the bank to start a digital presence. What's the first step you would do in starting your social media marketing for a community bank? Eric, would you like to go first on this one? <laughs> Correct. Well, first, off, <laughs> first off, I would just say thank you because that means I get to serve on a committee with Emily and I think it would be really fun to work together with you. So that's, 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 the, that's the first thing that I would say. Um, but 
I, I guess, you know, the compliance, because I did compliance when I was at the bank as well, and fight it as I do, the compliance monster still comes out in me every once in a while. But I think it's a very important thing to think about because, in my opinion, if compliance is comfortable and happy with the approach that you're going to embrace, it's going to make it a whole lot easier to be able to get kind of a universal cultural acceptance. I think oftentimes um, that doesn't happen. So the first thing that I would say is to go back to FFIC guidelines and look at kind of the risk-based approach and say, okay, what are the things that we're the most concerned about right up front? And I oftentimes refer to this as the chicken little exercise, the sky is falling. We're on Facebook, not just the banks on Facebook, but we're on Facebook and guess what? Everybody at the bank can get on Facebook while they're at the office because ultimately that's what you want to get to because I want to make it easy for Emily and everybody else in my organization to share and to spread the good news of all of the stuff that I'm doing and not give them the expectation that I don't trust them to do it at work and they have to do all this stuff after hours or sneak it on their phone. Mm. So I would first start with the risk assessment and, and run uh, a chicken little exercise and say, what are all the bad things that could happen if we just let our employees go hog wild on social media? And, and then how do we mitigate those risks and determine a way to make that happen in an environment and in a way that the compliance and the regulatory side of the bank is going to be comfortable with, because there are ways to do it. And there are banks that are doing it now and it can be done. We have to force ourselves to do that. Then I would challenge and say, who are the people that we want to influence the most and where are they spending their time? Because that's going to give you a little bit of direction as to which network or networks maybe you need to spend time in. And then lastly, I would spend some time thinking about what's the type of content that those people want to know, what are their pain points, what keeps them up at night, not what types of bank products and services can I shove down their throat, but if it's small businesses, what are the challenges that small businesses are experiencing in today's day and age? You know, staffing, healthcare, um, talent acquisition, uh, business insurance, productivity, time management, their own business using social media. Mm. and be able to find content and be the distributors of that type of content. Like Emily said, people are coming into her bank asking her how they can use social media. It's got nothing to do with a checking account or a mortgage loan, but they trust her because they understand that the bank gets it. And so risk assessment, chicken little, figure out where the people are so that you're fishing in the right part of the pond and make sure that you're delivering the right content. You know, you got the right bait on the lure that they're going to be interested. I just turned that into a total fishing analogy, but all of your down South, you know, so you're talking to two tigers and, from Mississippi and Alabama. We get that. Got, got me, got me thinking about going fishing. So, um, but you know, that's probably the three that I would pick. Emily, Emily, yeah, Emily, if you had to, not that you need to, but if you had to reboot community spirits, uh, social media and digital marketing presence, what's, what would you do? What's to reboot it? Yeah, I'm saying if you had to start one over again, what would you, what would you do? Oh, most definitely. You can tell you're talking to bankers because the due diligence side <laughs> of what you're going to do and why you're going to do it and what they can expect when you get there, um, you know, that was, that would be the number one thing. Um, you know, secondly, policies and procedures, because let's face it, we are a bank. We are about the fun and we want to have fun and show the fun side. But at the end of the day, this is a financial institution. Your policies and procedures need to be clear and concise. 
and have everything covered in the FFIEC guidelines that needs to be touched on, um, as well as, you know, archiving and training, archiving what you're doing and training your team. Mm. Um, you know, and I hate for someone who loves social to have such a banker type answer, but um, for our financial institution friends out there that are looking to start their programs or, you know, get things going and convince their senior management or board of directors, you know, those are the steps they need to be preliminarily looking at. You'll find your voice. You'll find what works well on each platform for you. That will come with time and consistency. Um, you can't make that happen because you can't force that. That has to come with you just consistently being out there. But the cut and dry, the what you need to have necessarily in place is the most important uh, for the social media side as well as any side of the bank. That risk mitigation uh, can't be anything can't be more important than that. Mm. That's a really good answer. Yeah. I was, when y'all were talking, I was like, man, this is not the answer I was expecting. I mean, that's so, so saying that what, what, what's the answer that you, uh, that you were expecting? Oh, I, was, I, was, I was expecting the, you know, <laughs> kind of like where you were going, well, sort of like what you were saying in like your step two and three, you know, start identifying your, who you want to influence, why and how. And yep. then start and, and start learning how to let. And this is what I think community spirit does really well. And I think Eric, you'd agree, is that in um, you know letting bringing out the human side of it, bring, you know, showing that it's not robotic. They don't think that it's a chat bot posting stuff. It's somebody that we can know and trust. It's Emily. It's uh, you know one of the other one of the other admins on there. Letting don't not being afraid to let the human the humanity out in, in, in a marketing context. I think that's one of the biggest things that I see the difference in you know, pretty good banking, social media, and the wow, uh, the great so banking, social media, and digital marketing. I was kind of expecting that answer. I wasn't expecting the compliance, but it's 100%. Uh, uh, you're right. That's, it is something that needs to be considered. Um, and, you know, it's in these conversations, it's easy to forget that, uh, that we are a financial institution. There is some compliance risk. And let's, let's talk about it on the front end. So no, I'm glad it went in a different direction. That's great. That's why it's a podcast. That's why we we, we, get, we, we roll with the times, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all, I, I do thank you for this. I've been we've been looking forward to getting together for uh, several weeks now and uh, having these two. I think you. I think our listeners will will, will back me on this. That ha Emily Mays and Eric Cook both are uh, extremely personable people and fun people to, to, to get to know. And two of my favorite people having come on board with Barrett a year and a half ago, two of my favorite people that I've gotten to know. And Emily almost exclusively over social media. We uh, only met one time. So um, <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed this. And this one I've been looking forward to getting a practitioner and a, uh, and a expert uh, together and just turning the microphones on and talking. So uh, Emily, Eric, thanks for your time and appreciate y'all being on the show today. Thanks so Absolutely. Y'all yep. take care. Thanks for the opportunity. See you guys. Well, that's our episode for today. We hope you've enjoyed yourself and learned a little something. If you haven't already, please feel free to subscribe to our podcast and drop us a five-star rating. You can follow us at Barrett Banking on Twitter or Barrett School of Banking on Facebook and LinkedIn. And we even have a new community banking road trip playlist on Spotify highlighting your favorite songs about your home state. Check that out and feel free to submit your favorite song about your state to add to the playlist. 
We have an ever-growing slate of classes, seminars, and webinars that are available, and not to mention our industry-recognized Graduate School of Banking every May, and we look forward to seeing you at any or all of our events. For more information, check out our website at barrett.ws. And from Memphis, the heart of banking, blues, and barbecue, we'll see y'all next time on Main Street Banking.